You know, story, the concept of story is incredibly important, whether you realize it or not. My brother-in-law, Jeff, was in um, uh, a mountain biking accident a few years ago and ran straight into a tree and knocked himself silly, was the, you know, one of many concussions he's had in his life because he's that kind of guy. And um, when, a, when a, a guy passing by found him, Jeff did not know who he was, didn't know where he was. They were on vacation at the time, so he had no idea how to get home. I don't think he brought his cell phone with him at the time either, so it was like no one could contact anyone. He was just some guy found on a biking trail. Thank God, in a couple of days, most of his memory was restored. But what was interesting in the meantime was, was trying to rebuild his memory. And you go about doing that by, by telling someone their stories, who they are, where they're from, who their family is, what their likes are. One of the two, okay, two funny things that happened in the midst of that. This was back, uh, it was, I think this was probably 2018. And they asked him, who's the president? And he said, Barack Obama. Like that was as far as his memory could go. And they were like, no, it's Donald Trump. And he's like, come on. <laughs> it was just funny. And he didn't remember that the Eagles had won the Super Bowl and was like, we should watch the game again with him before it comes back because that would be so much fun for him to experience that again for the first time. But his story, he didn't know his story. And, and, and whether you realize it or not, all of, uh, all, of our, all of our lives come through the lens of story. Who we are, where we came from, what our family is, what our background is, the culture that we're a part of, the reason we think X, Y, and Z about you know, the United States. or you know, Everything runs through that, that lens of the story that we have been a part of and the story that we have been living. And it's crucial to remember where it is that we've come from, what we're a part of. Today, we're going to look in Exodus 13. If you remember, the, the, the Exodus has begun last week as we read in Exodus 12. And, and we're going to look in Exodus 13 about how God is telling the Israelite people to, to remember the story. Remember where you came from. Remember whose you are. And then, and then to respond accordingly and to retell it, to keep retelling that story to the, the incoming generations so that they would know their story, so they would know what they are a part of, what God had done in their history, and that they belonged to God. So today, uh, every once in a while it happens, I get a three-point sermon again if you're used to that. So here we are. It's brought to you by the letter R. All right? So we're remembering the story, remembering the good news of the gospel. We're responding to it, and we're retelling it. All right? And so we're going to look at how God commands Israel to do this and how that applies to us as the people of God today. So if you remember in the, in the Passover story from last week that Israel has been enslaved for some 400 years, God sends the deliverer Moses by God's power to lead the people out of Egypt. He had sends these 10 plagues that are increasing in severity, getting to the last plague that is God is going to rescue his firstborn son, Israel, by destroying the firstborn sons of Egypt. Incredible story, hard story to wrestle with. I understand that. And God does this Passover act, right, where they take the blood of an innocent lamb, put it on the doorpost and the lintels of their home, and the, the angel of death will pass by, pass over that house, 
and spare the people who are inside. And, and in so doing, it, it pushes Pharaoh, it breaks Pharaoh to a point that he says, fine, get out. And the exodus begins. We see that the, the, uh, the Egyptians bestow all these gifts on the Israelites as they're leaving, gold, silver, clothing. They're like, just take it, get out, go, 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 go. And the people leave and the exodus begins with this Passover act. And so we pick this story up sort of midway through in Exodus 13. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. Exodus 13, people are on the move, and there's more, there's more like liturgy that breaks in. God, God gives these instructions about what they're supposed to do now. The Lord spoke to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male, meaning, consecrate meaning like set apart, dedicate every firstborn male to me the firstborn from every womb among the Israelites, meaning the humans, both man and domestic animal. It is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Nothing leavened may be eaten. So this is unleavened bread. We talked about that last week. Today, in the, mouth, uh, in, the, sorry, in the month of Abib, you are going out. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers that he would give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ceremony in this month, meaning the Passover and the dedication of these firstborn males. For seven days, you must eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day, there is to be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread is to be eaten for those seven days. Nothing leavened may be found among you, and no yeast may be found among you in all your territory. On that day, explain to your son, This is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign for you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead, or in between your eyes is the literal wording there, so that the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. God is establishing for the Israelites how important it is to remember their story, to keep remembering it year after year after year. Friends, stories form us. Like I said, we're all living in them. And there's different stories being spoken to us all the time. Good stories, bad stories, corrupt stories, healthy stories, things that are forming us. What story is forming you? What stories are impacting your life, forming you, shaping you? And God tells them the story that they need to know, that they need to remember, is that this has happened by the strength of my hand, he says. This has happened by the strength of my hand. You need to remember that, he's telling them. And I've said this before, I try to say it a couple times a year, that if we do not intentionally remember, we accidentally forget. That if we do not make the effort to intentionally remember God's deliverance, the strength of God's hand in our lives, we forget. And other stories start to speak louder. And they start to shape us. And we think things are by the strength of our hand, by the strength of our military's hand, by the strength of our finances, by the strength of you know, our, our good grades in school, by the strength of our, our relationships that we have, or whatever it is. And we forget that our lives have been delivered by the strength of God's hand. So we need to intentionally remember because we are just prone to forgetfulness. And God knows that. This is why he says right at the very beginning of the Passover, remember this. Remember this. 
year after year after year. Remember this. Back on Christmas Eve, uh, when we did our service up in the, the, other, the other room, um, I cut my finger in one of these music stands. I was folding it up, and I, I, I got pinched right at my, my thumbnail. And it's still there. However, like a month and a half later, all you health people are like, you have a problem, go to the doctor. Um, it like slowly heals, but because it's a dry time of year, it, it's gross. It kind of like cracks back open. I got to keep putting hand lotion on it, and then I forget. I go a couple days, and then I remember. I'm going to put a Band-Aid on it, put some Neosporin on it, try to keep it hydrated, try to get it. And it like slowly starts to close back up, and then I forget. And I can't, I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like this, is, this keeps going on. It's so irritating. But I've had to put reminders on my, my bathroom counter. I've had to put Band-Aids right on the counter. So I remember at night when I'm brushing my teeth. Put the Band-Aid on so this thing will heal eventually. And maybe by Easter, it'll be done. You know, like, this is what I'm trying to remember. Cover that thumb up so it heals. Keep applying the ointment to that wound so that it heals. Friends, this is what remembering the deliverance of God has to be like in our lives. Keep applying it. Keep applying it. Keep applying it to the wounds of our lives, to the brokenness of our lives, so that healing can actually take place. Remembering what God has done what he is doing, and what he will do. Keep applying it because we forget. And healing healing sometimes happens divinely in our lives. A lot of times it is a journey. It's a journey that takes time of keep applying the gospel, keep applying the gospel. And what God tells these people is, I want you to remember that by the strength of my hand on that day of the Passover, I brought you out and you are to be a different people. You're a delivered people. You're now to be an unleavened people, a holy people who are set apart for me. I'm putting this, this new leaven into your midst of my presence with you. And he says the whole reason he's doing this is so that they can serve him, so that they can worship him. He says rather than worship, you know, working for that, that corrupt Pharaoh, that corrupt king, you're going to serve and worship The good king, God himself. Remember that it's him who delivered you, and you turn in service, in worship to him. Paul captures this beautifully and says, basically, we used to be slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. It's not like we've been freed to just do whatever we want. The full life is found in being freed to worship God and to serve God. And he's saying, keep remembering this. Keep coming back to it. And God is setting up this this idea of of regularly practicing the idea of the Passover, regularly practicing the the idea of of consecrating the newborn uh, boys to him as a way to center their lives around God's deliverance, that they are a set-apart people meant to serve him and to worship him. And so for us, I would argue, we're here in 2023, the people of God of Hope Alliance Nazareth living in the Lehigh Valley, we too need to remember the story. We get to remember the story that the gospel of Jesus is not just our ticket in to the party, it is the party. That we get to live in it every day and remember it every day and apply it to the wounds of our lives every day, to the sin of our lives, to the brokenness of our lives. And it's this constant cycle of repentance and belief every day. Every day we are going to encounter other stories and we're going to start to believe them. And they're lies. We say, we, now we, I repent of that and I believe the gospel instead on a daily basis. 
So what ways, just some, just some prompts for you to think through, what, in what ways are you remembering the story of the gospel in your life? Maybe, maybe scripture? Memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture? Prayer? Prayer with others, prayer with God, silence and solitude. I know some of you women talked about that yesterday, just being alone with God. Coming to church. This is not just a religious act. This is a subversive act of us retelling the story every weekend to one another and to our own souls, remembering the story of our deliverance. It's important to be together. Maybe it's singing. You're retelling yourself the story through singing. Maybe it's journaling. Some of you are prayer journalists, just writing down, this is what God has done in my life. Even just last week, right? I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember what God has done. Because, friends, we are being formed by the stories that are bombarding us every day. One of my... Somebody asked me why I do this. Why do I do this job? I'm like, I want people to think. I want people to think and actually think. Americans have lost the art of deep thinking. I want you to think, what stories are forming you? Because they are. Take time to think about that. One of the ways, I guess two of the ways that we can tell what stories are forming us is our behaviors and by what stories we tell. The things that we espouse, the wisdom that we espouse to the world around us. So in re- if, if remembering the story is the first part of this, I would say what flows out of then is a response to the story and then a retelling of the story. So let's look at, at the response that God calls for. He says, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, so into this enemy territory, right? As he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, you are to present to the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. All firstborn offspring of the livestock you own that are males will be the Lord's. You must redeem every firstborn of a donkey with a flock animal, meaning a sheep or a goat. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck, meaning the donkey's. However, you must redeem every firstborn among your sons. And you're like, what the heck is going on here? This is the response God is saying to being people who are set apart, a people who have been delivered, a people who have been set free by the passing over. He's saying the response to that is a sacrifice of some sort. It's a consecration of the firstborns. It's a setting apart of the firstborn male children or the firstborn of the flock animals, the the, the sheep, the goats, things like this. What God is saying is in response, in a response to what God has done in your life, in bringing you into the land, setting you free and bringing into the land, he's saying, I'm calling you to sacrifice something important to you. The firstborn of the flock animals. We'll cover this thing first, right? This was costly. The Egyptians have sent them off with all kinds of stuff, maybe animals. They've been raising their own animals. And God says, when you get there, I'm asking you to give some back to me. What would that, what would that take to do that? It's not like they had jobs as accountants. This was their livelihood. This is what they lived off of, the land and the animals. And God's like, yeah, the first ones that are born who are going to be part of procreating the next generation, slaughter them. Whoa, that's costly, right? That would be scary. That takes an act of faith, an act of trust to say, okay, God, 
I'm going to trust that it's by your strength, by your hand, that you're delivering us and leading us in here. Therefore, I give it back to you. I trust you with it. It's an act of utter dependence on God to say, all right, I'm going to remember the story that it all comes from you. And in gratitude and by faith, I will kill this firstborn sheep. Wild act of faith and gratitude. But God wants his people to be dependent on him in that way, rather than working and serving Pharaoh, working for and serving Pharaoh. He's saying, you're working and serving me. You're working for and serving me. And I will take care of you. I have delivered you by the strength of my hand. I will provide more sheep for you. I will provide the next generation for you. Which leads into this idea of consecrating the firstborn males, setting apart the firstborn males. And this took a progression through Israel's history. You can read it through the Old Testament. Later, it gets explained that, that perhaps the firstborn males were uh, to work in the tabernacle that would be built for God. That they were to say, every family is going to contribute a firstborn male who's going to go and work in the tabernacle. They're going to work to, to help the people worship and center their lives around God. And later, it becomes, you're going to redeem them with money. They should be dedicated to the Lord's service, but instead you can buy them back so that they can be in your family. There's this trade-off that happens, right? But regardless, what God is saying, like he said about the sheep, he's now saying about the firstborn sons. Something costly to you, I'm asking you to dedicate to me. I'm asking you to give it to me. Now, sociologically, many people have worshipped gods throughout the ages by sacrificing their children. And God commands against that and says, no, 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 no. We don't do that. We value human life. But I am telling you to dedicate them to me. I'm asking you to trust me with them. And it would have been costly, right? The firstborn, the firstborn males are, are the ones who are going to be the next generation. They're going to be the, what brings the income to the family because they're going to be the first ones out of the house to start working, to be raising their own flocks, to be making their own money. They're going to be contributing to the family. They're going to be, in theory, the first ones to get married and to carry on the family name. And God's saying, I want you to trust me with them. It's costly, but I'm asking you to trust me with them, that this next generation is in my hands, and the next generation is in my hands, and the next generation is in my hands. And so eventually what it would be is that the, if the families would go and have this ceremony where they would dedicate them this baby to the Lord. You see this happen in Jesus' life. You see this happen in Samuel's life, right, where they're dedicated to God's service. They would go and they would offer them, and the priest would say, do you want the son or do you want the money? And the son is exchanged for money. So the family would give the priest money, and the priest, in theory, would give the family back their son. But there's this idea that that son belongs to God. God's saying, I want you to remember whose you are, that you are my firstborn son, Israel, and all of your firstborn sons are mine. Dedicate them to me accordingly, because on the day of deliverance, I purchased them for myself. On that day of Passover, I purchased those firstborn sons for me. The, the succeeding generations that are going to come, they're for me to worship me. They were alive, right? Praise God. They were alive. They were not sacrificed, but they're dedicated to God. They become living sacrifices. Living sacrifices for God. A constant reminder that this son belongs to God. He is his. And the response of, of slaughtering the sheep Sparing the donkeys, 
by a sheep. The King James nails the translation of that. That the donkeys are saved by a sheep. That's you and me someday, right, in Jesus. The sheep are slaughtered. The sons are consecrated to God. And he says, it's all mine. The response is a sacrificial living from the people. They remember the story and they respond to it through sacrificial living and being set apart, being unleavened in the world. But here's what I want us to remember. The deliverance of Israel came before their response. The deliverance of Israel, of being set free from slavery and being led into the promised land, came before the obedience that God was calling for. Do you see it? They were set free before he said, do anything for me. And we often get that wrong. I think, I need to do all these things to earn God's favor, and then he'll, then he'll free me, then he'll help me. And he says, no, 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 I have freed you, live accordingly. Freed to serve, freed to worship, not earning it, but enjoying worshiping God, enjoying serving him. This is the full life. So for us as Christians, as people of God in this New Testament age, in the church age, Peter gathers some of this idea of living for God in his letter. And he says, for you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life. You're redeemed, right? You're purchased out of your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He says, live accordingly because you have been redeemed. You have been bought and and freed, not by money, like the days of old. You've been freed by the blood of Jesus. You've been freed by the spotless lamb who is Christ. Paul says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Someone's life was given for yours. Someone's life was given for mine. And we become co-heirs with Christ. What was his right as the firstborn son is given to us. We are now co-heirs with Christ. We become like the firstborn son. Do you see this? We get everything that Jesus was supposed to get as the firstborn son. He bestows on us. And Peter says, what's your response to this? How do you respond to that? That everything that's supposed to be God's son is now ours And he purchased it by his own blood for you, for me. And he says, what's your response to that? Paul beautifully collects this all together in Romans 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, like in light of what God has done, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true Worship, or this is your reasonable service. This is your reasonable response. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, believing the gospel so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Paul is saying, in view of everything that God has done for you in Christ Jesus, you respond as living sacrifices. People who've been atoned for by Jesus, bought, redeemed, purchased, set free. He says, now you live as living sacrifices. You don't have to die, but you get to live obediently. 
We call this, at Hope, we call this grace-motivated obedience. We don't earn it, we get to. Because of what God has done in his grace, it motivates our obedience. It motivates our trust to say, I will live sacrificially. I will not just live for myself. I will not just live for the stories of this world. I will live for God's story. Because of what he has done for me, he has proven it to me. Are you willing to trust your future to God? Are you willing to trust your future to God? I'm I'm making eye contact with some of you I know who have sons. With your firstborn sons. Your future. All your hopes and dreams. Are you willing to trust God with them? Are you willing to trust God with with the strength of your hands to say, I know I could do all this. I know I could earn all this. I know I could make it all happen. I could raise enough sheep, right, to provide for myself, but I'm going to trust and turn it back over to God. I'm going to trust him with it. And can I just say, I'm not, I'm not sneakily trying to talk about church offering here. I'm talking about a lifestyle, a lifestyle of saying, God, it's yours, not mine. Because of what you have done for me, it's yours. Take it. That's, my, that's my, my living sacrificially. That's my response to you. And Paul says what this produces in us is, is an obedience of faith or faithful obedience, grace-motivated obedience, saying, God, you have done so much for me. You have demonstrated so much for me. And what you've done in Jesus, here's my response. I throw up my hands. <laughs> it's yours, open-handed. It's yours. Take it. My future is in your hands. It's yours. You've done so much already. I believe you to do more. I believe you to take the rest. It's yours. So how are you responding? How are we responding to God's redemption through Jesus' blood? Are we holding it all on for ourselves? Not trusting God? Or have we seen enough to say, I trust you. It's yours. It's yours. I'll live sacrificially in response. And so then finally, God says, and I want you to tell people. You remember the story, you respond to it, and I want you to retell the story. I want you to keep retelling the story. The natural consequence of this is that people are going to ask. He says, in the future, when your son asks uh, you, what does this mean? What, What does this mean, this Passover celebration, this consecration of the firstborn? Say to him, by the strength of his hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of humans and the firstborn of livestock. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord all the firstborn of the womb that are males, but I redeem all the firstborn of my sons. So let it be a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead, for the Lord brought us out of Egypt by the strength of his hand. This is why you see... uh, Strict Jewish people wearing things, the little phylacteries on their head, things on their hands and on their garments to indicate that they're taking this seriously to remember the story. God's saying, I want you to remember so importantly in your hands the things that do the working and the service, so important in between your eyes, the the brain, the the, the locus of, of, of all your thoughts and being. I want you to remember it there and here. The way that you serve, the way that you think, center yourselves on that story and be prepared to retell it and keep retelling it. Chris Wright in his commentary says, Redemption, which we believe God has done, leads to a sanctification, leads to a setting apart, which leads to mission. 
Redemption in my life leads to me being made more and more unleavened, which leads me to be on mission, to retell the story, to tell others. And he's saying, your son is going to look at you doing this, saying, why are you doing this? Why would you take that brand new sheep that just was born? Why, like, why would you sacrifice that? Oh, because of what God did back in Egypt when he set us free. We need to be telling the story over and over. And friends, we need to be told the story over and over. I need you to tell me the gospel. Do you know this? You need one another to tell each other the gospel. We need to be reminded again and again and again. When the stories creep in from the world, we need to be reminded again and again. You've been bought with a price. You have been set free. You don't need to give yourself to that story. You don't need to believe that lie. You've been set free in Jesus. I need this. You need this. We need to be telling each other the story and remembering all that God has done. I just took a class uh, in seminary last month or two months ago, I guess now, where one of the things we talked about was liberation theology. Interesting, some interesting concepts in it. But one of the things uh, I was reminded of in that class is that Slaves in the American colonies and then in you know, the United States in the 1800s, slaves were forbidden from telling their stories. They were given new names. I went to church with an African-American guy whose name was Steve Johns. You know why his last name was Johns? Because his family belonged to John at some point. Flipping sick. They were robbed of their names and their stories. Why? Because when you take somebody's story away, you take power away. You take strength away. You take vitality away. But on Sunday, when those slaves could go to church, they went to black church, not with some white preacher, went to black church where a black preacher would tell them, this is what God has done. This is the true story. This is the real story. This is the story that you have been delivered and you will be delivered. That another exodus is coming. That it has come in Christ and another one will come. But they're being told this story to give vitality, to give strength that was being robbed by their other stories being taken away. Friends, we are no different today. That we need to be told our story. We need to be reminded of our story. And it takes one another communicating the story to each other. Reminding each other who we are. This is why I care so much that everything we do is housed in the gospel. That we're constantly telling each other because we forget. Deuteronomy 6.24, you don't need to put it up. Moses is conveying why the people need to follow the law of God, the statutes of God. You know what he says? Because it's good for you. It's for your benefit. He says, I want you to live in it because it's going to be good for you. It leads to full life. You've been set free. Now live in it. And we need to remind each other of it and tell each other about God, retelling the Passover story for those who weren't there. Retelling the Passover story for people who don't know it or who have forgotten it. Applying the truth of it to our lives that we are people who've been set free. That we are going into the promised land, God says. That someday you will be completely free. Already? Not yet, right? We're not fully there yet. 
But he says, it's coming. It's coming. And you can point to what God has done to point to the future as well. Keep telling each other that story. We're on mission because we have been redeemed. So who, who are you telling this story to? Who's asking you? Is anyone asking you? I was like, ugh. When I asked myself that question, I was like, eh, I don't like that question. Are we living lives that have been so clearly delivered that people are like, I want to know more. Tell me that story. Tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me the story that, that set you free, that you can live with such freedom. If you have kids, are your kids asking you, hey, tell me the story. Tell me the story of how, tell me the story of how you became so sanctified. <laughs> no one asked me that this week. <laughs> Probably don't know the word sanctified, but tell me how you became so self-controlled. Are people around you, your kids, asking you to hear your story? Or flip it in reverse. If you said, kids, tell somebody my story, what would they say? Eesh. What would they say? Friends, there is value in remembering the good news. Constantly centering our lives on it and responding to it. That is where the full life is found, is in grace-motivated obedience. And then in retelling that story again and again and again to one another, to our families, and to our community so that people can find Christ. The people of God remember the good news, center our lives around it, they respond to it, and then they retell it.